Hello listeners and welcome to a brand new episode of the Everybody's Eats Ligam podcast. I'm your host Nanad as always. Delighted to be joined by a great panel of wonderful Ligam experts. Firstly, Alex Collins. Alex, how's it going? <laughs> I thought we weren't going to do that how's it going. I'm well, thanks. How are you, yeah, Nanad? Good, good, thanks. Uh Jerry, how how are things with you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good, 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 good. And now the staying true to to not yes, asking. Yes, yes, Jay is a, is a, yeah. Don't make her attitude. This is how the French protest <laughs> again. That they do, that they do. Well, the the guest of today's episode is uh, is of course freelance journalist based in Qatar, Neil Shailet, famously appearing on every pod everywhere and writing for every publication everywhere. Uh Neil is a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, how are you doing? All good. Thank you very much. Absolute honor to be on. You know, I mean, I've, I've been a big fan of the pod since you guys started and yeah, actually delighted to be on and looking forward to this episode. Lovely stuff. Lovely. It's lovely to have yes, you. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. So, should we get started, guys? Jerry, why don't you take us through the headlines from France for this week? Okay, for this week I've got two stories for you guys. Which one will me to start with first? There is one who is a, a bit more avian than the other one. Okay. Um so all right, let's start with the, the avian one. I mean you probably haven't missed the fact when we saw um uh, Luis Enrique getting annoyed at French question. And this has been a, a bit a bit talking in French and if I can give my 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 opinion here is French journalists have always the thing of since basically Luis Enrique came at PSG, they never really talk in press conferences about what he is doing well, but always about oh yeah, but this wasn't right. Even after a Lens game, they were complaining about stuff. They basically always been complaining about all the time, and I think that's where that's um, that's why he was annoyed on. After after the game against Rennes, because and by the same journalist as well. The thing is uh, with this Alexander Ruiz journalist, he's always the one asking those questions, uh, like always say, "Oh yeah, but this wasn't good, but this wasn't good." And I think he, he just said, "Yeah, you basically always asking the question." So it's fair to me that now I I am gonna get annoyed as well. I do think that his reaction wasn't the best, but. You know, people are trying to say now, as in, oh, it was really the same um, in the Spanish media. And the thing is that a slightly different case because historically, historically, that's what French media always does. Uh, always have to point out the bad things all the time. As in, it's fair, it is normal. Um, but it, when it's that much constantly, uh, you can't get another for coaches. We remember, I don't know if you remember when Tuchel did it. Yeah. When, it just starts slamming it like, oh, but you, you the press, you're just there writing oh, when I'm bad, when I'm bad. And <laughs> that That's something that I've been quite recurrent for other years for PSG manager and other manager. Even Una and he had it at this time. So, yeah, so it's going to be interesting now. Now, you kind of have a, like a kind of, what do I say, um, fight between all the journalists saying, yeah, I don't I don't know why uh, Luis Enrique asked him that way and who do he think he is. 
And finally, I think that even though Edward Hage sometimes goes too far, um, he's a manager, he's extremely smart. And I think that's what French journalists sometimes don't really get. Uh, just before we move on, what was the question or what was the criticism actually posed by this Ruiz guy? Because the reaction was, like you said, quite over the top. I think, didn't Enrique call him the most negative man in France or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, they were basically they're always the same as usual. I mean, um, he, he was just saying, oh, but yeah, you've seen your, your team against took a goal. And why? They were like, yeah, why didn't you score more goals? And it's like, okay, okay. I mean, <laughs> what what does it actually mean? Like, of course, PSG are have a significant uh, higher salary team as any other French team. But that doesn't mean that every game should be five or six goals all the time. And I think that what I was point out that uh, it's kind of like a new process now. So obviously, it's going to have a lot of lows, some highs. But if you, if that journalists keep on pointing the lows, well, they're not going to go too far too soon. Yeah, I think it's no surprise that the Alexes of this world are having a problem with PSG. So <laughs> that all makes sense. Jerry, why don't you... Alex Barker yeah, too. Yeah, Alex Barker. So that's another one for... For, the... for all of us, it's just start with Tinia. That's, <laughs> exactly. that's all we want. Exactly. That's what, that's what Luis Enrique doesn't see. Uh, yeah, Jerry, why don't you briefly touch on, on the second headline that you have for us? Yeah, the second a bit more life and a bit funnier. So as we know, Gattuso arrived in Marseille. And... Gattuso is from our region, and sorry for my Italian pronunciation, it's called Calabro, I believe. And apparently it's kind of like a, a ritual in Calabro, like once you shake someone's hands, you give him a little uh, sl- slap after. Like, but like, not in a bad way, but like, anyway. <laughs> and he started doing this now on Marseille's players, and it became like an hour ritual between everyone. They're just basically shaking hands <laughs> and slap, slapping around the players, and that, that just that just kind of. I cool. love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, just, that just kind of. It's literally the craziest manager out there for the craziest like club. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's like feels like a good marriage until it's gonna yeah, be a literally. bad marriage, basically. <laughs> In terms of energy and you know personalities, that seemed like a good match. Like Marseille, Marseille <laughs> player and, and fan will be. Are really crazy and so so easy. So yeah, it's just quite kind of funny. Yeah, for sure. Maybe uh, yeah. I, I wonder if the season go ba- goes bad. How's, how how the intensity the of those slaps will get better. Oh god, we'll we'll see. We'll see how that develops. And I mean, I'm I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I mean, it, it's very possible that in the distant, I mean, before the end of the season, we might even do a deep dive on on Gattuso's Marseille. As as little <laughs> tactical substance as that might have, but we'll see. That's that's a discussion for another day. Um, thank you, Jerry. <laughs> Some le- very lovely insight uh, this week. Uh, Alex, do you <clears throat> want to take us through the weekend's action review? And I know that you were keen to take over from me for this because you think you're better than this, uh, better at me uh, at doing this. So yeah, take it away. We'll see how you get on. <laughs> I just wanted better from you, Nanad, and then you couldn't rise to the challenge yeah, you gave yeah, it to yeah, me. Yeah. Let's let, not I'm, rewrite I'm history, talking, but um, I'll do I'll do my best, my best presenter voice. Um, okay, so the weekend's review. So we start off with Strasbourg 1, not 2. Uh, Piero Restore has continued to impress, maybe not the other members of this podcast, but at least me with the positive brand of football previously unheard of at Stade de la Bourgeois. Um, but not certainly not foreign to Strasbourg's coach Patrick Vieira, who is struggling to 
make the most of what I'd say is a fairly talented squad. I think the other quick note from this game, at least that was interesting to me, was just to juxtapose the play styles of two, the two strikers um, on either side, both of whom had good th- games, I thought. On the one hand, a pretty titanic back-to-goal display um, for Strasbourg from my countryman Lebo Motiba, while on the other side, Matis Ablin continues to impress in a slightly more of a false nine, or at least less of a focal point role for Nantes. Um, then we move on to Mets 0, Nice 1. Not much to say about this game, but this was the game where Nice's Jean-Claire Todibo attempted a disgusting 180 passes with a 91% success rate. It's almost double the highest per 90 average in league from last season, which was Marco Verratti at 97 passes per 90. Um, moving on, this is a game that I watched um, quite closely. It was Rance 1, Monaco 3. Obviously, I think the headline story there is Balogun not only scoring again, but now scoring on his return to Rance. Obviously, he didn't do, you know, did the hands-up non-celebration, which I have to say, I think if he scored against Arsenal, it would be a knee slide or something. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I thought Monaco were, were a, little bit, a little bit lucky in this game. I mean, for me, it, it wasn't completely dominant one way or the other, but Rance were the upper, had the upper hand throughout the game, I thought. And, yeah, things just didn't really come off for them. And then Monaco seemed to kind of score all of their big chances that they they manufactured from the game, which I guess is just comes down to the quality quality at each end of the pitch. Um, yeah, one thing I'll say, I thought Ishmael Jacobs had a pretty good game, and obviously this is a it's a big one for him, right? Because he's coming in to replace Kanrik, who's been a key part. I didn't even realize until I looked up the assist charts recently, but Kanrik still the top has the most assists does, in the league yeah. with four. Yeah. Yeah, so he he's a big loss, and I think having that Ishmael Jacobs isn't going to offer that retention and kind of like tighter creation playmaking from wide, but he is an outlet and he can deliver. And yeah, he offers a little bit more of a vertical presence, and I, I think that's something that Monaco are now going to have to kind of work with. And and he I, he impressed me. He was someone I kept an eye out. Did anyone else watch the Rance Monaco game? Yep, uh, I had a chance to catch most of it. Uh, I think I, I agree with, with your assessment of it. I felt Rance were, they slightly had the upper hand in sort of like the overall balance of play in the first half. I felt both sides were really sort of lacking in the final third until like, what was it, the 42nd minute or whenever Monaco scored. And then they basically scored like three consecutive shots. So like either side, yeah. either side of half time, they scored every single shot they took. And that was basically the game done. So as you say, you know, you have to consider them a bit lucky because you're not always going to have three shots go in. But it's also a reflection of the quality they have, you know, in up front, especially through a Balogun. Um, but yeah, I think it was it was a, an even affair, and I think these two sides showed that they're going to be sort of close to each other in the table throughout the season. I expect. And I mean, I am kind of less high on Monaco than I was in the early weeks, but they're still top of the table basically. So yeah, it's one to keep an eye on. Um, moving forward, another a game I didn't watch was Marseille 3, Le Havre 0. We've been speaking about Gattuso, but this is his first league win, I believe, um, after back-to-back defeats for Marseille versus Monaco and PSG. Um, obviously, three goals is also kind of a nice tonic to maybe the football that you'd been seeing <laughs> under <laughs> under Marcelino, right? Um, certainly, Alex Barker, who is a closet or hardly closet anymore, Marseille fan, enjoyed watching them. Um, and that's on a manager he wasn't particularly keen about. Uh, Neil, I think you watched this game, right? So I, I'd say this was honestly 
decided in like about half an hour or so by when uh, Marseille were, I think, two goals up and then Lahma also got a red card. So at 2-0, it was basically over. Uh, but before that, I, I was a little bit disappointed, honestly, by uh, the visitors' performance. Uh, I think they were the subject of uh, to the last episode of the Everybody's mm. Um But here, I felt they were sort of too passive. They mostly set out in like a mid-block, didn't try to press Marseille at all, which is personally something I might have considered doing given sort of all, all the turmoil they've been under, all the changes. And so Marseille really, um, as uh, sort of Alex Barker uh, has pointed out before, I think that their main sort of success in this match was not really like sort of tactical brilliance or anything, but simply the fact that obviously they had better players and the, that their players were playing in the right positions. So like under Marcelino, they had 4-4-2 where he was basically shifting central midfielders uh, into sort of the wide midfielder positions, uh, abolishing the number eight position, where like the likes of Azadine Unahi, especially mm. Amin Arit in this match, really looked good. Uh, and, you know, up front, uh, you had you know, proper wingers now in Ileman and uh, Ismail Assad looking good. And I have to say, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as well. In this match, I was impressed by how he led the line with his sort of movement and runs in behind. He doesn't really offer sort of the, the dropping off and link-up play uh, as much as one might like, but he's he's still a very intelligent sort of runner in behind in terms of the timing mm. of his runs. Uh, and so he, he did that well, got his first goal for Marseille in the league, I believe. Uh, a lovely assist as well for the third. And yeah, a routine win really for Marseille after the two two quick goals uh, in around the 20-minute mark and a red card for Laval before half time. So... Uh, a step in the right direction, but I mean, I, I think the scoreline isn't entirely representative of the, sort of the steps forward they've made. I, you know, I'd be I'd be keen to watch them in their next matches to get a better idea of where they where they actually are because I don't think this was a very representative game for them. Yeah, uh, see if I can just uh, come on what you said. I haven't watched the game obviously, but what I've, I've been talked in French media is the fact that Aubameyang uh, wasn't didn't show much this season except for the games in Champions League qualification in, against Panathinaikos, um, I think it was. But they were kind of saying like uh, maybe it's because that position as uh, centre forward is not optimal for him, and they were saying how maybe him being on the left or of the front tree could be beneficial. Did you do? You, did you think? Did you think like? He did help him being on on the left wing or not really? No, no. I think he definitely has to play central. Um, I mean, as a winger, I, I Marseille have so many good wingers, right? Like Ismail Saril Man and Diaz starting this game. They're really good getting the ball out wide. They can dribble pass. They can put the balls into the box uh, or or even cut inside and shoot. And I don't think Obama Young gives you that. I think, as I said, his best strength to me, uh, especially in this game, was his running in behind the way he stretched the Lafayette defense both to like get on the end of through balls like he did for his goal and for the assist but also to open up space between the lines for the likes of uh, Amin Arit and Unahi to sort of uh, operate in so I don't think I think if you shift him to the left you're you're basically losing all the strengths or all the upsides he's giving and he, there's nothing new you're gonna, like he's he's not like a dribbly winger so like, like to me I think this is his best position um, and yeah I think yeah, it's between him and Vitinha. Honestly, I've been a bit disappointed by uh, Vitinha since he's come in. 
So I think for now it's fair that uh, Aubameyang is their first choice starting striker. Um, last thing I just wanted to say is just going back to being it being a representative match. I think definitely in terms of Lahav's approach, they went down early, and I think something we still need to see from Luka Olsen is ideas when they don't take the lead or aren't in an even game state how are they going to approach these matches to kind of get back into games um okay but let's move on kind of quickly i think next game is Brest one to lose one martin satriano um opening his account for the season and Brest being held to a draw after you know being at the head of the table for so long but they're still they're still fourth at the moment but now the real challenge comes up i think their next three games are monaco psg and then lille so it'll be interesting to see how um, Eric Croy navigates those games. In in a way, I think these are ones that potentially suit him and the way that Brest like to play. Um, certainly Monaco. But yeah, moving on is Lyon 3, Lorient 3. Lyon picking up their third point of the season. Um, but still signs of life from Lyon's attack, who came back from behind to go up 3-1 against Le Moulu by the end of the half, courtesy of a cracking effort from Ernest Nuama. His first for the club as well. We've had lots of firsts for the club today. And two goals from Alexander Lacazette. Perhaps the more noteworthy brace, however, came from the opponents where 17-year-old Elliot Krupi added his fourth and fifth goal involvements of the season in only seven appearances so far, helping Lorient claw back um, a point um, from the game. Next up, I don't even know what to make of this game. I didn't watch it, but Footmob tells me that it was abandoned even though it still made it 90 minutes into the game where Montpellier were leading 4-2 against Clermont. Um, I asked Ninad to kind of ask, explain or figure out what actually happened in this game. So Ninad. Yeah, this was um, this was a crazy game with a chaotic ending for um, for the wrong reasons, has to be said. Um, like, you, like you rightly said, Alex, Montpellier uh, were up 4-2. And this is in added time, 94th minute of the game. And uh, Clermont goalkeeper Morigio has has the ball at his feet. He's ready to take the goal kick. And of, of course, he has the Montpellier fans behind him. And um, suddenly a Montpellier supporter decides it's, it, it'd be funny to throw a projectile in his direction. And and that's what, that's what happened. So he threw a projectile in his direction, which was a firecracker. The firecracker lands at Morigio's feet. And, and then it bursts at his feet. So what happens there is then Morigio obviously... Falls unconscious, he collapses there on the spot, and obviously then there's all the players yeah. gather around him, and um, I, I believe one of the one of the defenders from Clermont, uh, Neto Borge, showed the middle finger to one of the Montpellier supporters, for which he <laughs> was shown a red card by the referee, and then the game was suspended after that. So yeah, it wasn't obviously for we could have been talking about Musa Altamari's brace after this game Teji Savania's great display but we're having to reflect on a rather unfortunate set of circumstances and i've been looking through the sort of consequences and post match comments and obviously both club presidents have sort of expressed their disappointment at the incident and rightly so and at at the obviously the fact that you know this is this is football fans shouldn't be doing this and like players should, like Obviously, you know, players should not have to face these kind of things on a football pitch. And um, the consequences, I believe, could could go in multiple directions depending on the LFP's uh, own um, processing of of the of the incident. So there could either be a points reduction for 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 Montpellier, which is very likely because there has been precedent for that in the past, um, or there could be a potential replay at a neutral venue. So 
I think we'll we'll get a decision on the matter in a couple of weeks. So so yeah, that was uh, Montpellier for Clermont two abandoned. Over to you, Alex. Perhaps it's crude of me, but I just think should the game not be Montpellier maybe face penalties for sure, but you know end four two because it was basically done. It this was my... basically done. It's true. <laughs> it's this true. Is my chat, but <laughs> it's true. Uh, that's that's the th- weird thing though. Like why? I mean, obviously, to, to, I back to, to, to like step away from the seriousness for a second, it's so incredibly stupid for a fan to do that. Like at the very last minute of the game, it's literally moments away <laughs> from full time. You can just walk away without doing this. Nobody's going to be harmed. Nothing's going to happen. But no, this guy just decides to stand up, throw the damn thing and then throw the game away as well. So, so yeah. We have not seen someone cost their team like this since the last time Anona tried to save a shot. But oh, okay, okay, okay. Let's move on, Alex. Let's move on. Let's let's move on to the team that beat right. Arsenal in the Champions League. Okay, oh. okay, okay. So yeah, next up is Lance one, Lille one. Um, Lance gradually moving away from the relegation zone. Uh, leaving Lyon behind after four defeats in the first five in all competitions, they're now unbeaten in five. I didn't watch this game because it happened at the same time as the Arsenal game. But Neil, I believe you did watch it. Yep, I I, I got to catch a good few parts of it. The derby do not, of course, a, a big match. And I think, you know, as you said, this is sort of a reflection of Lons slowly getting their season back on track after the horrific start. I think the worst ever start uh, for a team that finished second in the previous season. Um, and so, as you said, there are, I think, um, what, five uh, unbeaten now. Uh, and they were largely, I would say, on the balance of play, slightly the better team. I, 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 maybe I won't go as far as saying that they probably deserve to win. I think it was a fair result. But they did have the upper hand in like general state of play for most of the match. Uh, Lille scored just before halftime, arguably against the run of play. Uh, and so Lons had to chase the game in the second half. Uh, eventually got the equalizer through uh, substitute uh, David Machado. And yeah, it was 1-1 in the end, which is yeah, a fair result, I think. But Lons are now out of the relegation zone, at least. Um, uh, I think a point above it. And I definitely think they will be heading upwards in the table. Don't expect them to sort of match their, their performances from last season. They've lost too much in terms of player quality purely through the likes of uh, Seiko Fofana, Lois Openda, which they haven't really been able to replace. Uh, but I mean, they're not... They're not in relegation threat either, I'd say. So, uh, yeah, they're heading in the right direction. Of course, that win over Arsenal in the Champions League, I'd imagine a very important result for their confidence. Um, And, yeah, so on the other side of the international break, I think I'd expect them to keep going upwards in the table. Perfect. And then, lastly, was Ren 1, PSG 3 um, as the final fixture of this game week. Jerry, what did you make of it as as a PSG fan? It, it was kind of a bit of a weird game. Uh, I do think at, at some um, some option the, the the line score seems bigger than it really was. Um, when at the, at the beginning of the game, Pierre didn't really seem comfortable uh, start starting the game. Uh, I think Ren have re- some some good occasion that they couldn't convert, and I think Pierre did chance if I can say that way is that they quickly I mean that Vitina goal I wouldn't say it was against what uh, what the dynamic of the game but it wasn't I wasn't expecting like a goal that quick and I think from that from that on it just kind of unlocked the edge of player 
probably that after well the, the defeat against Newcastle during the week, they were kind of you know it's just it's always kind of hard to get back into the game. But yeah, uh, what um, recently he came back to a more traditional team, which three minutes further put back Vitinha, and I think you can tell uh, when Vitinha is here. PSG kind of have more control of the ball. Obviously, uh, realistically, when you bring on more, another midfielder, those help. So, yeah, PSG really seems more comfortable. And, well, they still kind of were suffering in transition because uh, Ren seems really dangerous in, in transition. Kelly Wendell had a great game. Um, but, yeah, I just think that, that at, the end, at the end, it's just one of the, those games again. Well, you can see that because the, those players are just so technically um, kind of better than the opponent, it just make a, a too big different, a too big difference. I don't think Ren had a bad game. I really like the press. I really like um, Bruno Genesio's plan. He basically just wanted to kind of recreate what Newcastle did to them against the week. They were really aggressive press. PSG didn't react so well, but uh, it might. Have, I mean, I would say that some you got to have some really good turn. Uh, Akimi as well. It's just that obviously because they're not Newcastle player, they PSG had more ease to get out of the pressing. But I, I do think that Geniso plan was the right one. But it's just yeah, once again, the quality of the player made all the difference. But it's just such a shame that Ren cannot produce because. Fair enough, he was PSG, so he, he finished on, on a loss. But if Ren could reproduce those kind of performance against lesser team, they definitely would have would be a serious contender up there for Champions League spots. So first place, I don't know, but yeah, I I don't think Ren was bad. I just think that PSG were good. So yeah, that was our make of this game. Interesting talking talking in terms of plans because we saw Lefebvre dropped and Rita. Well, Rita has been playing for them recently from the start, I think. But Rita was he playing kind of as the front line guy? Yeah. Well, not front, not front, front of the midfield. Yeah, so words of escape. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I, did, I didn't talk. I didn't talk about it. <laughs> Ren were kind of playing in a four-two-three-one, uh, and um, yeah, he was Rita was the front midfield, so. And one of reader quality always have been kind of, is really good at um, amassing pressing or just knowing where to go to press. Yeah. For a forwards player, I, I, watching him in Switzerland, I do think that he have kind of good sense of uh, defense, defense science. So I think that was what was uh, Genizo was hoping that he there. He did his job well. Uh, I do think at some point they were lacking creativity uh, because Blast didn't produce as much as uh, he normally does. So I do think um, uh, maybe some creativity were missing and, or maybe some changement should have been made earlier because when it was 3-1, the game was pr pretty much done. But other than, other than that, uh, I... I think it was a fun game to watch, uh, honestly. Perfect. No, not that's that's my that's my handling of the the weekend review. Um, I'll hand back to the real host. Okay, thank you, Alex. Thanks for that. Uh, well done. Good job. And yeah, excellent. I think excellent summary of all the league on action from the three of you. So well done on that.
So yeah, that was the week in review, folks. And next, we get into the breakout players section. And the way it's going to work is this. Each of Neil, Alex, and Jerry will get two picks to talk about. Two, I believe, under 21 or under 23. Uh, under 23-ish picks. Uh, the younger, the better, really. And uh, yeah, talking about why those players have stood out for them, what they've done, and essentially giving mini profiles of each of these players. And at the end of uh, end of this section, each of them, including me, will get an honorable mention that they would like to throw into the mix. All right, so Neil, you are the guest, so you will get the honor of uh, of talking about your first pick uh, to start. So why don't you take us through your player talk about? Absolutely, I think. My my first pick is probably I think everyone will agree the best sort of breakout talent in Liga this season. Maybe you could even widen that to Europe so far uh, in, the, in, this, in this season. Yeah, I mean yeah, all over the world really. Because <laughs> I mean, Burns and Emery has been incredible. I think it's maybe people might forget he did also make about six or seven or so appearances in Liga last season. But he's just been on another level this season. Obviously, we all knew this guy was super, super talented. Mm. I mean, since he's been coming through the PSG Academy, there's been a lot of hype around him. In the UEFA Youth League, uh, he's absolutely stood out. Uh, yeah, especially, you know, especially the guys that scouted who, who covered all the youth tournaments brilliantly have been sort of banging on his drum for a long, long time. But I don't think anyone could have seen him so quickly becoming such an integral part of this PSG side, which is, of course, you know, as you guys have discussed, and as many people have discussed, sort of in a state of a bit of a change, a change in their approach with uh, Luis Enrique coming in. And yeah, I mean, I've it's completely blown my mind how much sort of responsibility Enrique has, Luis Enrique has given him, how much trust he's placed in him, and also how well Zaire Emery has coped with it. So he's, he's generally started uh, as, as, I mean, obviously as a midfielder in a 4-3-3, he's tended to sort of be on the right. But in recent games, especially against that Newcastle, when they switched to a 4-4, he was also on the left. So he can play on, on both sides, really. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, in, in terms of sort of his, his playing style, I think it's, it's obvious that he's absolutely excellent technically, which, I mean, I, for any sort of young talent coming up with so much hype is almost expected. But he's got an incredible touch, incredible ball control, great passing, great control over it as well. So he's very secure mm. with his passing. I think obviously it's it's a, I mean a fairly small sample size, but I believe so far this season in Liga, he has a hundred percent long passing completion rate. That's so, crazy. That is yeah, insane. So, <laughs> and it's, it's I mean it's, it's eight matches, so it's like not that small a sample size either. And he, he averaged about two point five per uh, per match. So. I mean, it's quite a few passes and 100% passing rate is incredible. But yeah, he's, he's just an excellent progressor of the ball in like all three ways. So he can, he can, as we saw, he can pass from deep with, with great accuracy. He's a very good ball carrier as well with great control. He can get through tight spaces. Uh, but he's also, I mean, what stood out to me is that he's also very intelligent in terms of his, his understanding of like, like the open spaces and sort of basically his tactical understanding, right? So he also kind of, if, if you play him in a more advanced role, he can also do really well to receive between the lines, receive progressive passes and help uh, bring the team forward that way. And particularly in the match against Newcastle, what really stood out to me was his 
sort of tactical awareness in terms of reacting to opposition movements. Uh, in, so Newcastle obviously press really aggressively with their midfielders and all three of them step up. So Zeremi in certain cases did really well to sort of go in behind them and sort of first drop deep to pull them in and then attack the space between the lines. So I think his tactical uh, awareness has, has really stood out to me. Um, and I think lastly, you have to mention in the final third, you know, he's, he's shown some glimpses of brilliant creativity, some great vision, great execution of passes, a couple of great assists in the last two matches for him uh, against Newcastle, a lovely chipped ball, and against Ren as well, another assist. So he's, he's adding the sort of final third threat uh, dimension to his game as well. He's already a very well-rounded ball progressor as we see. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, one last thing is he, he's, he always has shown this sort of attacking impetus uh, from his youth league days in terms of sort of bringing the team forward, pushing forward with like carries and dribbles and these creative passes. So, I mean, yeah, I've been blown away by just how well-rounded he's looked at just 17 years old. I mean, the guy was born in 2006. Like it's, it's, it's mad. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> when someone's even young to kneel, that's when we. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, as I said, mightily impressed, and yeah, probably the breakout start of the season so far for me. Yeah, Neil, you were talking about um, his youth league, and he's great because I think that's where most of people get to know him in youth league, and if if you watch. The, when he started the youth league, he was playing as a more deeper position, like as a sitting six. And throughout the, the group stage, it just just become like more more offensive, and just tells you how much he could evaluate throughout. Not even um, like multiple multiple years, but just the same season. Like it was literally just a couple of weeks between all of those games, and he was coming like, oh, I'm a kind of good sitting six, then a, a complete. Uh, box to box midfielder than number ten. And it just have it's it's really really hard to see what he cannot do. And well, wh- when he came come on professional last season, as I said, and this season, it was really noticeable that physically he was really ready. And I feel like now, while we start to see a bit more his his technical ability as well, because well. Uh, even against Newcastle, the just the the pass I gave for Lucas Hernandez, it wasn't an easy pass to make, and he kind of do the same again against Ren for Akini. Uh, damn it, those balls they really just remind me of Verratti the way um, he lifted the ball for for the player who was just behind the, the the defensive line, and just yeah, really impressive. And just I think what I really like as well is just the fact that. Uh, with a coach like Enrique, he's really going to develop a lot. So I'm excited for, for the future for him. Yeah, just as you guys both outlined, I mean, in a way, it's it's such a <laughs> an unenviable task trying to profile Warren Zaya Emery because all you're saying is, yeah, he's just pretty much good at everything. Like, he's, he's good defensively. He's good on the ball from deep areas. He's actually good on the ball even in high areas if you need to. He's good with his long passing, his short passing. Tactically, he knows what's up. Physically, he's already super well-developed. And I think he has been known to be, like, really ahead of his age group since, like, 10 physically, right? Playing with much older age groups. And he still looks physically, like right at the level despite just turning 17 recently so it almost feels like you're giving bad analysis but the reality is is that he is genuinely good at everything i had to do a thing for scouting recently 
where we had to, and Nenad actually helped me, we had to rank the top players. In my mind, the easiest one was just Warren Zaya Emery, and then we'll think about who comes afterwards. And then obviously Evan Ferguson, who I think most people rated. But I think when you watch like Zaya Emery, he just adds value in everything he does. The one thing that has really impressed me though, and maybe this is a, a small criticism I had of him, you know, a very minor one from when he played at youth level is that he did kind of ghost or, or you know, phase in and out of games. And it didn't matter too much because he was still doing good midfieldery things, but just not to the level that he, you know, that constant impact that he could do. And then he'd still have those moments which just change games, whether it's receiving on the turn, suddenly banging one in from 30 or driving forward, like, you know, whatever he does. But what we've actually seen, I think, so far this season, despite actually going up, you know, playing regularly at a higher level now, is he seems far more consistent or far more constantly involved. I think he still has moments where he kind of, not, uh, hides is never the right word for Zay Emery, but is less influential, but it's way less so than it was at youth level. And that's that's crazy impressive to me. I mean, he's he he is constantly controlling games. I couldn't think of a better replacement for Verratti, who I, I consider maybe the best midfielder I've ever watched in Ligue 1. And it's a crazy statement, but I really think like Zaya Emery could be like the improvement on Verratti and just offers a lot more. And, and it feels it feels very sensationalist to say that, but watching the player, I just don't think it is. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think trying to profile Zaya Emery is so hard. I was trying to do it myself. And I have, what I can't say is like kind of a mix of sometimes he reminds me of Bellingham, but the way he can, uh, you say Verratti as well, I think he just picked up few of, of his ability under pressure, for example. So it, it is really hard to profile him. And I, and I think yeah, he's really one of those midfielder, like next gen, if I can say. They just, yeah, he's like the prototype, yeah, prototypical, they, they like perfect. So many things that is hard, like they, they can do, um, okay. Now, in France, they have, like, since, like, Paul Pogba, right? The thing where Oliver Pogba, like, he can do everything, but you cannot ask him to do everything. And that was, like, kind of a, a, a big talk in France when we were playing with the French team. Because uh, for, for a time, they shall ask him to basically do everything, to be uh, helping to building up or the creation and finishing action sometimes. And Zayemi is kind of this player now, obviously not at, at the Pogba level, but he's a player that can do everything. But now it's gonna be a question of, uh, can but can we ask him to do everything? And I think PSG ask him a lot at his age. I mean, you go to Saint James Park, yeah. go to Sanchez Park playing a four-two-four against Newcastle for the first game in Champions League, and he was he was the best <laughs> player on the on the on this pitch that night. Uh, I just he just show he just show how good he can he could he could be. So. Yeah, just a bright idea I had. No, I think in the Champions League, I don't think it's the first time it is, that he's impressed in the Champions League. I remember last season watching him, uh, this is a very distinct memory I have of him, is him bombing down the right wing and bombing past Alfonso Davies, like leaving Davies behind yeah, in the was past. Bayern, I yeah, against Bayern. yeah it, was, it was mad. And I'm thinking, how is a 16-year-old doing all this? How and is against Alfonso Davies? Who you know how athletic he exactly, is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and just yeah, I mean, outside of all those impressive and like exceptional qualities that you guys have already outlined, I think he has a very, very stable and mature head on those on those shoulders, and like he really seems to connect with the PSG ultras as well. I think there was a moment in one of the games after um, one of their recent wins where he went over to the ultras and like 
directly address them and like put up uh, took a loudspeaker or something he's the guy they're giving the megaphone I'm, I'm, every time i'm telling all. you i'm telling you this guy is is the next poster boy after after mbappe eventually departs and i think no already or, taken uh, it from yeah, mbappe, yeah, yeah. if we're being honest honestly and, hey, and um even even didier deschamps said that there's no reason why he couldn't not call him up uh, if he keep on playing like this because now he's a is uh, an immovable starter for PSG. Is is playing well. So realistically, yeah, there is no. I mean, there's no reason. He did the same for Kamavinga at age 17, yeah. if I remember. And I'm Zay Emery is playing better than Kamavinga did at that age. Like that is also the reality. Kamavinga was great. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Enough gushing over Zay Emery. Neil, thanks for that. Alex and Jerry, thanks nah, for nah. your inputs as well. I love talking about those crazy youngsters. <laughs> nah, more, more, I want more. Uh, we give you, give me, give me too much as it is, Jerry. We give you too much. The first youth player that actually stays at the club. This is a big moment, uh, Jerry. It is a big moment. That's true. That is true. Uh, okay, so Alex, the Europe next, and uh, you have a Portuguese talent who is starting to make a name for himself at Leo. So why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's hard to follow up with anyone on on Warren Zaya Emery, but I think he's been very impressive this season. So my my guy is Thiago Santos, um, signed for Lille from Estoril in, um, apologies if the pronunciation's wrong, but from the Portuguese league for about 6.5 million, if I remember correctly, this this summer. Um, He's a right back, 21 years old. Just to give a basic profile of him, um, he's quite an attacking or offensive-minded fullback, very good on the ball. Um, what really stands out to me though is there's so many different ways that you can use him and that he's already been used you know he's only played about five games in the league so far this season he's been on the bench for the last two to be fair but he's been using like I would say three or so different tactical roles already by Fonseca um, first game I think he he stood out and he caught my eye um, was versus Nice and I think he to be honest he was the most impressive player for me that match the guy that caught my eye and Lille's best attacking, best source of attacking threat that game. And he was playing quite wide, although, you know, um, rotating higher up. But yeah, just used a lot of width coming inside in later moments. He's very, very good as a carrier. And he's also got really, really good dribbling, um, especially for a right back. So he can really take on his man and kind of burst through. And he's got that kind of, you know, that like explosive scurry type dribbling style. I kind of want to compare it to like, Gabriel Jesus a little bit like that you know that Brazilian kind of style I know he's a Portuguese player but he really reminds me like that kind of like style um and yeah he really he really stands out and then yeah he's also very comfortable inverting deeper in the build-up which is what we saw versus Montpellier basically was part part of their first build-up line and then you know going into the second line at times and then even later on joining joining the front five you know as they arrive or as they've kind of starting to make things happen in the final third and then against Nantes, he was playing, you know, in a role where he inverted and swapped a lot with um, Zagrova and inverted higher up, kind of playing as like one of the high eights in a way. Um, so he, you even find him like moving across to the left at times. So he, just from that perspective, he's a very modern player. And I think this is sort of what we're going to potentially see from this next generation of fullbacks as coaches are looking for more and more. I think there's so much you can do tactically with fullbacks. Having a fullback that can do all of these different roles is going to be very important. Um, some of the issues I have with him still, and, and I think this is kind of why he's fallen out of the team, um, is that he can be a little bit rash 
um, and force the issue too much with his passing. He has got a very good vertical pass on, on him, both along the ground and over the top, but he tries to force the issue too much. I think his decision-making is still... Because he's always looking to go forward, but it it's it's not exactly what I think Fonseca wants. And they they lose they lose possession that way through through how he tries to play. So I think that's something that's he's going to need to develop a little bit. And then I think defensively, very active defensively. Um, particularly he likes to step up. But yeah, he's not the most intelligent in terms of how he likes to defend, nor is he really, I think, ta- technically good at like closing down and stuff like he leaves a lot of space or or you know won't block off the passing leg and, and things like that won't show them onto their weaker foot and then on the retreat i think he can almost be all of that energy is still there but in a more like non-committal way where he should be committing a little bit on the retreat i think he he's not very comfortable closing onto his man down the channels so he leaves too much space and allows them to get crosses in so so those are some issues that i think unnatural he's just joined um but it makes sense he's kind of as another young player will speak about later Lenny Euro I think a lot more people are aware of has come back into the side both Diakite has moved back to right back as he spent a lot of last season playing and Thiago Santos has found himself on the bench for the last two games but but yeah it was enough to really impress me I think he he's probably been their man of the match in two or so of them of the five he's played so far this season, just by how much he's making things happen. And Lille have been a little bit um stagnant to start the season. And we've spoken about why in previous episodes. But but he's been that source of light. So I'm 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 quite excited about him. That was a great analysis, Alex. Thanks for that. And I mean, by the sounds of things, that it really sounds like he has some shades of Jacques Ancelo and Diogo Dallo. Um in terms of his qualities, at least going forward, and the room for growth is really uh, defensively. Would you say that's a fair fair comparison to make? I don't know if I see Dallo in him, but you you would you would be better positioned, maybe a younger Dallo. Mm. Um, but I I kind of see I see different aspects of him. I I feel maybe and this is a lazy comparison, but I feel like I see Vanderson because mm. Vanderson's also a player who they've got similar like technical things that kind of. A little bit of burstiness that kind of makes it look a little bit more jagged the style and then they also really do like to force the issue at times so i see that in him but at the same time he really is he's very comfortable playing you know inside the block even moving inside to receive because he is a very good dribbler i think he's he's relatively good on the turn or at least if he's can't turn out of pressure you know and go past it he, he's good at maintaining possession and passing back i think th- those are one of the those are some of the instances where he's very good at at kind of being more tempered in his play, um, but yeah, he 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 reminds me of a lot of a lot of footballs. I even see a little bit of um, of of Tariq Lamptey in him. So so it's just aspects of different footballers. But it, but part of why he's kind of taken my eyes, he feels like that next level footballer, albeit maybe still you know uh, a diamond in the rough at the moment. For sure, for sure. Okay, let's move on to our next player. Now, Montpellier's last uh, top scorer for, for the last season was uh, Sepeari Wahi. He had 18 non-penalty goals. Um, and to replace him, they enlisted the services of Akor Adams, Nigerian striker, who was going to be talked about by our very own Jerry. So, Jerry, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Akor Adams? Yeah, so Akor Adams is a player that I, did, I know nothing about since um, before he joined mm. for for Montpellier, so I didn't really know how much to think of him. And 
I think the fact that now he's now the second best scorer in, in Liga behind Mbappe and same amount with Mustafa Mohamed. I think it only tells quite a lot when a player came in Liga and have a fast adaptation. Um, because I, I do think that to be able to thrive in Liga, you must have to be a dominant player uh, physically and just be really good on your drill all over the pitch. And I think that's what, what Oka Adams is. What, what really impressed me when I started watching him was, well, he's one most. So one meter ninety, which is six foot three, I believe. Yep. For ninety two kg, so on TV he looks like um like a giant on on the on the pitch. <laughs> but in addition to this, he is as well like a really pacey and powerful striker. Um, he he kind of remind me in Lukaku, but a less. He's not as heavy as him, but he can. Just the way you know when he's on on the turn, you just cannot stop him. So, he, I would say he's, he's kind of like a combination of Lukaku and Oziman, his uh, his compatriot from Nigeria. And by the way, Nigeria have, have actually have they have a million have, strikers, have, I think. And me, that's <laughs> he actually he actually ridiculous the amount of striker they have. But it's got <laughs> to the point where they just call up two midfielders every every international <laughs> break and like eight strikers. No, I, I believe for the last for the last call he was um, Conor Adam uh, Ako Adams wasn't uh, selected to to go. So well now it's gonna be hard for the section and for him. But yeah, he's just so dominant. He he's really fast, really pacey. On the turn, is is kind of really hard to stop him. Uh, what I do think that he haven't been doing well is, well, even despite that now he's basically the main ma- manufacturer of, of gold for Montpellier. I do think that when Montpellier needs him, it's kind of hard to find. I do think as well, he is uh, he's still young, so well, he he's twenty three, born two thousand. Uh, I do think, and obviously, don't know. You don't know his, his teammate that well yet, but so I do think when Montpellier struggle uh, with that, I do think the easy option could be a long ball for Arthur Adams. But when it comes to do that, I feel like he's not he's not as comfortable when as we we would have th- we could have think. I mean, at least not regular in a regular basis enough. Uh, so that was really strike me at first. Um, I don't know. What, what, what do you think of it, Neil? Yeah, so I, I actually sort of followed him a fair bit when he was at Lillestrøm. Of course, before. he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and yeah, <laughs> what I find interesting is sort of the the pathway he took to uh, to like the, his sort of next move, basically. So obviously, he he grew up in Nigeria, and he moved to I think Sondal Sondal in twenty eighteen which is a fairly common sort of pathway from Nigeria to the second division in Norway. And then he impressed there. Um, another striker did that, by the way, was Gift Orban. Another one. Um, but yeah, so he impressed in the second division, uh, then got the move to Lillestrøm. And yeah, so I've watched him at Lillestrøm. And as, as you basically said, like Lillestrøm stacks tactics will sort of send it long. Uh, Adams will chase it and then he'll score. Uh, so last season, they were almost qualified for Europe with that. This season, while Adams was there, he got like 15 goals in 15 games or something. So, like, basically a goal a game. Uh, and, yeah, like, as you say, what stood out to me was sort of his... his. I mean, honestly, I didn't realize 
that he was so big as well because the main thing that stood out to me was his sort of runs in behind uh with as you say his 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 pace but yeah as you say he's also really big and hard to stop and yeah he's really inte- intelligent as well with his movements you know either side of a defender he can run in either channel and very good finishing uh, at, at the end of it all but yeah so my main concern with him when he was at Lillestrøm was if he would take sort of the traditional pathway out of Norway which is generally like a Belgium or a Netherlands or a Portugal um and generally like a, a more of a top club there so like your likes of maybe a you know PSV uh, Ajax or uh, you know Club Brugge uh, Genk or someone Genk or someone but I, I you know as you say I felt that that wouldn't probably be the best move for him because he hadn't really shown sort of a, a, a sort of overall like link up play and involvement in the build up he was more a sort of a transition outlet and for that reason i think montpellier did a great job in picking picking him up because he served the perfect outlet striker for them and very good replacement for what wahi did so in that sense i think this is a brilliant move which worked out very well obviously for montpellier but also for his career because i feel if he'd gone to an psv or a club brugge or something he might have sort of dropped off a bit so yeah i think a, a great move for all involved Yeah, you you nailed it perfectly. I think that was a brilliant signing by Montpellier. They really did well, and I I I do think as well that like, he each Montpellier is the perfect timing because as you said, they're really traditional, and I'm not sure if he is ready yet to be in another kind of attack system as good as as he is. So it would be interesting to see how we can dev we can develop. Um, how he signed his friends hopefully it doesn't go it doesn't leave France too soon but definitely one player that I'm really excited to to keep watching mm. Alex I want to I want to pose the question to you two guys then because I've not watched enough to really come to a conclusion about um, Ako Adams but what do you think then um, about his ability to kind of transition to a higher level than Montpellier right so obviously it makes sense that he's, he's moving to Montpellier is a much better move than maybe or you know one of the bigger portuguese or dutch um or belgian clubs but do you think he can then from montpellier maybe develop enough to make that next step where he's not just this huge transition threat but actually someone who offers maybe a little bit more in teams that like to dominate possession um and what not because i mean he's putting up almost 0.6 mp xg per 90 which is which is crazy so far so there's obviously value in that so yeah um At the moment I don't think he could evaluate in a in a team who is not looking for transition. He, he could go to any other team in Bundesliga he will thrive. Um but yeah. <laughs> as, as everyone does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I French I, player does well in in Bundesliga. Yeah, but Shock. <laughs> I, I I do not think he would yet being able to perform that well uh in a more possession based team. But um, I mean I mean long term yeah no long term is it's hard to say because i used to think that lukaku was a, could be a good uh, player for a position based team uh, but well watching him now i think he i feel like it's it's hard to tell i feel like the later that coach or that team who will want him to be more involved in 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 the game will find him the the worse he could get i think he can do it but if he's not pushed away there's no reason to do it because he's re- just really good at finding the channel to run to or holding on his, his, his opponent 
But um, oh, uh, I forgot to say as well. But what something strike me is well, obviously, good five goals. He's a really good uh, goal scorer, and actually, uh, he's the, the the striker under who is under twenty three, the most uh, have the best conversion rate. Uh, so, so he just shows him a lot, and I think. Uh, overall, he's like third, and in front of him, but obviously Mbappe and, and I think it was Menyeda. But yeah, he's just really good at scoring. I'm not sure that he's ready yet and now to go in some, doing something out of transitional. So I don't know. Uh, do you agree with this, Neil? Or? Yeah, I mean, Neil, obviously you've watched more of him at, at Leostrom and Sondal. So watching all of that back, do you do you see any shades of any signs of, of, of qualities in him that will maybe translate like Alex says in the long term? Yeah, I think at Lewstrom, he was, if anything, even more transitional than Montpellier. So it was very transitional. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, with, with Jay's Lukaku comparison, um, I think Lukaku at least, like, he, he has great, like, forward carrying, for example. Whereas Adams is much more of an off-ball threat. Like, his runs in behind are way more dangerous than him carrying the ball forward. So yeah, he's 23 now. And I expect he'll stay for Montpellier at least a couple of seasons. So honestly, I don't see him sort of evolving into a complete striker, if you will. Um, so I, I don't think like a more possession-based team should be going for it. But I do think there is a higher level of transitional teams than yeah. Montpellier, right? So like the first uh, sort of thing that came to my mind was that he'd be a great Michael Antonio replacement for West Ham. Mm-hmm. I was going to say. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I think... You know, there is like a level, still he could go a level up, but it's important that he, at least from what I've seen, it's important that he sort of sticks to teams that are transitional because that that's where his strengths are. Neil, we'll stick with you. You get the opportunity to talk about one of Alex's favorite players in league on this season, Ernest Noama. So take it away. Yeah, I first took one of Jerry's favorite players. Now I'm taking one of Alex's favorite players. <laughs> That's why he's for him. Just take him off my head. But yeah, as you said, Ernest Noama, um, he, was, he was one of my favorite surf transfers over the summer as well because I was a big, big fan of him uh, at FC Nordseland uh, in the very early stages of this season. So a bit of background on him. He came through uh, in the Right to Dream Academies in Ghana which, uh, as, as Alex pointed out to me, is actually technically own FC Nordseland. So uh, it's, 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 a, it's a very sort of uh, well-trodden pathway. Um, yeah, it's, it's unique, very unique setup as well for, for a club to have a, a basically owned by an academy in Africa. But uh, within Right to Dream, we've seen loads of players uh, come through to Nordseland. Um, I mean, that's basically part of the reason why the club was set up in the first place. Um, and I would say that Nuama is one of the most exciting talents to have gone that way. So, uh, like when he first came in to uh, the Superliga in Denmark, which I believe was the summer, uh, rather the winter of 2022, I mean, January 2022, uh, he, I mean, he obviously, you could tell that he was a fairly rough talent. Like he had sort of signs of, of uh, great quality, like good, he was already a very good like one-on-one dribbler. He could get past people, but his end product was really lacking. Uh, and so, I mean, at that point, you couldn't be so sure that how just how good he was going to be. But he's just developed so well in in those couple of years at Nordsilon. And by the time he's he's left, like at the start of this season, 
he was absolutely bossing the league. I think he played four games before leaving, if I'm not wrong. And he, he won player of the month. And he was just by far the best player in the league. He, I mean, he, he, he just basically could do everything. So for Nocelon, who played 4-3-3, he generally start as a right winger. But towards the end of his time there, he was also able to play like centrally, not as a pure striker, you know, someone who drops off more. Um, but but yeah, generally off the right. So, I mean, again, technically, another excellent player with great close control of the ball, very good dribbling, great skills, ability to go both ways, I think is, is a really good strength for him because that keeps the defenders on their toes. He's not very one-dimensional, so he can, I mean, he's left-footed, so to say, but he can chop inside and shoot, of course, but he's also very good at sort of going down the line and putting something in. And, and he's got a great, great sort of burst of pace. So w- once he goes one way, and if he gets the ball past the defender, it's, it's over, he's gone. Um, but what's most important about him, and this is the thing I think he's developed the most, is his decision-making became so good by the end of his time at North Ceylon. So he's, he's, he's always making the right choices as to whether he should cut inside and shoot or go down the line uh, and cross. And he's always making the right decisions in terms of his passing, who he's picking out, uh, and so in that sense, I think that's that's sort of the main aspect that he's improved on. So he's gone from a more of a raw talent to a more finished player with his decision-making particularly. And another thing that stand out, uh, stood out to me uh, of his play at Nordsalon, especially when he starts as a right winger, is his, his box movement. So he's very intelligent at sort of the far post uh, in terms of getting on the end of crosses or cutbacks and scoring tap-ins at the end of the day. But obviously, you know, like we talk about many strikers that way, right? Like if you score tap-ins, then that's a good thing because it shows you can get into those positions. But it's an even more rare trait to have in a winger. So I think it's 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 a great quality, which maybe we haven't seen so much of at Lyon yet. But I mean, obviously there's loads of factors behind that. Uh, but but <laughs> the, 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 there's, a, there's a lot in there um, for, for them to work with. So personally, yeah, I was really excited to see, to see how him and Sherky would, would work. Um, I, I guess we'll keep saying that, but I'm sure Alex has some thoughts. He's been following him for a while as well. So, uh, that, Alex. And I just also to to shout out like FC Neuschwanland. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Neil spoke about like this constant production. I mean, we go from from Kudus to Kamaldin to Adingra to Noama, and then now the next one up is Ibrahim Osman coming through. It's just crazy how they managed to produce top talent like coming coming from right to dream year after year after year. Um, but yeah, I, I was very excited when we got Noama. I think maybe a little bit tempered by the fact that we were losing Barcola. I, I would have loved to have had both of them on either side of, of La Cazette and then maybe Shirky behind. It was a very exciting like prospect. But but yeah, but I think in terms of a replacement for, for Barcola, um, we obviously wanted to go with someone with very, very high potential. I mean, there's a whole controversy about how we ended up buying him, which is, as we've spoken about, literally using one of one of Texas' other clubs, um, R- RWD Molenbeek, who aren't even worth as much as how much they spent <laughs> to actually bring him to, to them and then loan him to us. Is it even legal but... to talk about him at this point? <laughs> 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 you know what? I, I've seen that the French clubs have all kind of put a forward thing to the DNCG or to whatever legal authorities to ask 
um, them to investigate the deal. And I'm like, we're already dead. Why are you trying to do this? Like, we're in the ground. This is just, you know, showing up at your haters' funeral. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I've been, I've been excited by him so far. I think he's had a bit of a frustrating start, but that, that through no fault of his own is as Neil alluded to, I think there's been there's been some issues. I mean, he came in, his first game was versus PSG, and you could see that he was kind of out of tune with the rest of the squad because he was kind of getting in people's ways, trying to play his game, and I think that the team itself isn't coached that well, so you deal a lot on like socio-effective understanding with each other, which wasn't there yet. Um, but he's looking better every game. Obviously got the start in the last one. I was really impressed. I think Lacazette works really well with players who run off him. And yeah, had that cracking left-footed finish from the left, like that gave me life, really, to be <laughs> honest. Um, and it's interesting. I think I think we have kind of replaced Barcola in someone who is comfortable playing both sides and can go outside and inside. I think Noama's even better going uh, cutting inside than than Barcola was, at least uh, at Lyon. Um, so yeah, I'm excited so far. I think I think it's still early for me to have too many too many takes about like way. He fits in, but I think he's he's certainly someone we needed to bring in to bring the most out of Lacazette. Definitely with Barcola leaving, and and as Neil spoke about as well, I'm very excited or hopeful to see how this relationship will develop with Shirky because I think Shirky also plays with good players like this, and Shirky is, in my opinion, still our best talent at the club. But obviously, at the moment where the club is at, it's it's in an issue just in terms of now we're just trying to actually solidify the midfield because of how porous the back line is and obviously Shirky doesn't fit into that so I think and he's not a transition threat and I think maybe we need to be a little bit more threatening you know and be able to, to stretch teams a little bit so so Jeffinho on the left or on the right and then Noama on the other side is sort of the the way to go for now. Yeah and you know just one thing I forgot to mention was as you alluded to, his, his off-ball movement is also really great because mm-hmm. he spoke a lot about his on-ball qualities and dribbling and you know, end route mm-hmm. and all that. But his runs in behind as well as his sort of positioning between the lines if he plays the more central role is also really, really good. Um, and obviously, he can receive very well. So, yeah, a very, very well-rounded player in that respect. And, you know, on, on sort of the point of him sort of gelling in with the squad, I think, obviously, I mean, part of the problem is that Leon are a complete mess. But another part of the problem is, <laughs> is that, uh, <laughs> is that like, I mean, uh, he wasn't exactly like basically he didn't join before the season, right? So mm. he started at Nordsalon and like everyone sort of expected him to leave. Uh, in fact, there was even I remember before Nordsalon's league game against uh, Rondes, uh, Rondes on social media basically put out a statement. Uh, inviting clubs to please sign Noama before he play, pays us. <laughs> uh, but it, it didn't work out for them, sadly. But I think the game after he was gone. Uh, but yeah, I think maybe part partly because of all like all the financial stuff, you know, the, all the complicated way of signing him for you guys with like RWDM and all, all the other clubs involved uh, in negotiations. Um, I think yeah, that's also part of the reason. Yeah, if, if he joined like preseason, then it'd be much better. But yeah, I mean, let's see how it goes. A last question just for you, Neil. What what would your expectation, like a realistic one, uh, given the context that he's come into as well, what would your realistic expectation be for him? Let's assume like he's, he remains a starter for the rest of, of the season. Um, so puts up what, let's say, 28 or so 90s in the league, at least. What would your expectation kind of be in terms of goals, contributions? 
that you think yeah. you can put? Yeah, you know, as you say, because of the environment he's in, it's. I mean, personally, I really don't like to sort of like assess players when they're in this <laughs> this sort of environment. So, like, like for example, Chelsea, right? Like, I'm not gonna blame any of the players over the last year much because they've been in a complete mess. Uh, and Nuama, you uh, considering all this, this is like a, a very low bar in my opinion for him. But I'd I'd say maybe double digits. at least okay. uh, would be good to see i do think he can get i mean like if everything was fine i would i might even say 20 but i even now i do think he could get like 15 but at the very least i'd say double digits if he starts okay that gives us an idea of like the quality of the player as well the fact that if it was a working system you think he could get 20 already in his first season for sure for Perfect. sure big if that isn't it big big if <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. That was that was He's going to keep us up. That's all I'm happy with. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right, that was Nama. Thanks, Neil. Uh Jerry, we'll move on to you now and your second pick for the day is a young center back making a name for himself in Monaco uh as far as a part of the wide center back or I should say one of the few center backs who actually starts for them on a regular basis is uh Songutu Magasa if I've butchered that pronunciation I terribly apologize but I'll let Jerry take over from here on out <laughs> Yeah um I just say uh, one of them center back who play for them regularly but he is actually a midfielder I mean at least that's why he has been playing um the past years uh, I've heard of him before I kind of see him last season Monaco under 19 had a really great season and, and they they went quite high up in the youth system so I kind of heard of him but never really uh, watched him carefully now that he's playing really on league now but I think it is uh, an interesting choice that Peter chose to put him in that position um uh what I really like about Magasa in this position is the fact that is pretty much playing is still pretty much playing like the midfielder is just a bit deeper on the pitch so which means he has a good pass range long shots is i also have a good organization um and defensive anticipates like he kind of mm. always thinking uh, what could be the where can the danger came from and try to avoid it before it happens and i think that's that is something He is really remarkable for his age and uh, and I think that is definitely why he can play in that position because he's not really great for any kind of drill despite the fact that he's not he's not especially small but in any aerial drill um, yeah he kind of struggles a bit even for challengers he's not that strong but the fact that he have a good he's just really smart and always thinking before danger can happen i think that's what make him still playing in monaco he can still have kind of have so as i say as they have a midfielder so yeah he does sometimes those make those carries that what which are expected for a left center back uh playing in the back three even though sometimes he he, he can be, get carried away but I, i think that's just the age uh, because as i said uh, He's still, he's still, he's still 19 playing mm. with Monaco. He's been, he's been, he's been doing well. I do think as well that now, like Caio Enrique was really helping him a lot. Giving, I mean, you know, you just have Caio Enrique. He also have a good IQ football, so kind of always making a clear pass, pass choice. Now with um, 
um, oh, Ismail Jacobs. It would be interesting to see what's the dynamic of those two who will operate like. Because I think what as good as Carol and Kerry were, I think I don't think that those two were working to 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 make it works on the on, on the right on the right on the on the right side. And I, I mentioned that he is a good passer and to demonstrate that. Um, um, for, from the, 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 the centre backs, so under 33, he's the second best. Only Arthur Theat do it better than him as a centre back. And I, it, it's just brilliant because, you know, when you play with uh, Singo, who is much of a, who is much of a, of a threat by, by his carry, and Maripan or Zakaria, we, we see who play with him, who is more uh, him for helping physically because when when Zimaribana Zakar are not there, I think I do think that the, the that back three are a bit light. But it's it's nice to have a player who actually good at playing from the back. And I think that's why Peter wanted him there to have that player who is comfortable with it. So now we I I'm I'm kind of I'm I like what I see, but at the same time he didn't fully convince me. I feel like he's still, well, he's still like, he's a young player, he's still in doubt. And sometimes I feel like, I feel like he, he don't know how good he can be. Like he's really hesitant about his plays. And, you know, remember Alex, one time he told me um, about Vitinha. Uh, like he's having the right choice, but just taking really long to take them, to, to make those choices. And it's kind of the same in Magasa. We can see on the pitch and by he, the way he positions his body that he, what he wants to do, but either for X or Y reason, it's just not doing. And I think that's where, if I was Monaco coach, I would push push him to do it because, yeah, sometimes you just kind of uh, um, destroy some occasion that he could create in tradition by not making those pass or making those runs who will create big danger. So yeah, I would say, yeah, I, I I'm really pleased with what I've seen so far. But I also expect expect him if. I, I keep watching him that he does a bit more than what he's doing now. So yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how we can evaluate for the, the incoming games. Um, I do think there's a lot in that and what he was speaking about with regards to his relationship with Kao Enrique. And I think not only Kao Enrique, but also Zakaria, because he started the season really, really well in terms of, guess, his relationship with both um, players that he, he believes are good passers, good receivers. I think one of, one of the things he did in terms of how he was building out is he likes to kind of pass into the like the the wing back and then kind of move a little bit higher to to receive before making the next pass. And Zakari also like to move quite high, right? Um, despite being like the central center back, kind of the what you'd say the sweeper role. I don't really think Monaco used their central center back in that way, but but now with Ishmael Jacobs, he's kind of forced if he needs to make that pass to kind of to because Ishmael Jacobs isn't going to come deep and then kind of you know build like one twos and stuff to kind of make things happen and triangles and third man runs he Ishmael Jacobs is going to go long and I think Magasas maybe felt felt a little bit more isolated we saw that against Rance right where where he actually got subbed off because he didn't have a great game um compared to how he started the season and I think it's having Murray Pound who's a bit slower he has to protect more space now and I think as someone who is learning to be a center back you know now with his first chances into the first team rather than being a center back at youth level you do see those those weaknesses a little bit at, or limitations at the moment. But at the same time, I've been so impressed by the quality that, that he has on the ball. 
Um, in terms of his passing, he has that same sort of thing that Saliba has, where he has just really good at like that disguised pass and just kind of finding really, really good angles despite his body being shaped in different ways. And especially for, you know, the positional play coaches and stuff at, at the highest level, that's really those simple, those simple and small um, details of what they look for in their center backs. Like how well can he disguise a pass? How well can he manufacture that opening angle to access the inside? And this is something that I think Magasa was doing really, really well in the beginning of the season. Um, the other thing I just wanted to, to, to add on to what you said about his anticipation, I think it's really, really good in the box. And maybe that's what's impressed me the most, again, especially as someone who, you know, was kind of seen as a midfielder coming up. But almost his his anticipation is better the deeper he gets towards his own goal. And I, it's been it's happened a couple times now where he knows exactly when he needs to jump off his marker to kind of intercept a pass or or push onto the man who has the ball. And that's that's a really impressive um yeah, just a really impressive like decision making quality that that we've seen from him so far. So so I think those two things together, that that passing ability that he has and that anticipation are, are skills I see with a lot of scope to continue growing and that have a lot of value at the highest level. So so yeah, I'm similarly high on him, even with his maybe recent struggles, which I think are also natural when you've changed both his partner to his right and ahead of him. Yeah, I you know, completely agree with what you guys said. And personally as well, I've been really impressed by, by how he's, he's come to it. I didn't know he was actually a midfielder before, so I guess that makes it all the more impressive. Um, and maybe this sort of ties into the shift in wing-back, especially as which uh, Alex used sort of outlined brilliantly and how that changes for him. Because I felt sometimes he sort of, I mean... Sort of like holds onto the ball too much and tries to sort of carry too far, or like not release passes when, or I mean not necessarily passes, but like not release the ball, maybe even just go long when you're under pressure. Uh, and I guess maybe that sort of ties into a couple of things. One is sort of the wing back uh, not dropping deep so much and not offering so many sort of deeper receptions, and the other, of course, is him being a midfielder before, so not being so used to those situations. But I do think that's maybe one aspect. Very small aspect, uh, but a potentially costly aspect if it goes wrong, where he could concede dangerous sort of high turnovers. So uh, that's, I think, one sort of criticism I had of him. But yeah, on the whole, though, really impressed by sort of how he adapted and even more so knowing he's a midfielder before. So that was all things Magasa. And we'll move on to the next breakout player pick from Alex, finally, and talking about a Rans midfielder. Surprise, surprise, more Rans praise on the Everybody's Eats uh, podcast. But uh, but yeah, who is it this time that we are gushing about, Alex? It's actually someone I wasn't expecting. Kind of took me by surprise this season. Mm. Um, especially since I mean, we we spoke about our kind of worries for for Rance's midfield a lot yep. um, going into the season with Lopi and Kajus going. Um, but yeah, basically, Amir Richardson is my pick. He spent last season out on loan at Le Havre, and it evidently went very very well he started most of their games and you know their title winning season to come to get promoted and come back up and i think enough for will still and and the rance leadership to give him the number eight shirt and give him a couple starts from the beginning of this season and he's impressed me so far so yeah just to give a basic profile he's 21 years old moroccan um at least in terms of his nationality that he's declared for i think he grew up in france and yeah a midfielder I would call him, you know, one of those deep eights that can be more of a high eight. I think people, because of his size, he's very, very tall, got long limbs. 
a, quite a big frame was being spoken about when I first kind of wanted to learn more about him as more of like a defensive midfielder, even though a six, but I don't see him as that for, for quite a number of reasons. And and the first is that he's just very, very good going forward. Mm. I think he's one of those players that I almost see like Mitsada-ish qualities in terms of how he just loves to dominate and carry or receive or attack the, down the half space. Um, and there's just so much attacking quality to actually get out of there. He plays on the right interior, he's left-footed, so you can kind of imagine how those dynamics work. But he also really, he has what, what I like about his play, and I think I, I like about players in general, is he's very good at attracting pressure and also disguising what his next action is going to be. And that's a very, very um, valuable quality when you're kind of playing in these high-up areas that you can pull someone off his man, and then often what he's doing is trying to release Ito, um, always trying to play play a pass on the inside. And yeah, he just offers a lot in terms of not only being able to kind of bring the ball up high, and sometimes he's even just continuing through and trying to attack the box from the side. Um, but yeah, not only attacking high, but then also being effective, or carrying high, but also being effective in those areas. I think some problems with him on the ball still is his passing. Well, I think his timing and execution in that sense is good. And maybe picking the passes is good, I think. There's some technical faults with his passing. He he likes to kind of do these short prodded passes, which obviously makes sense because he kind of wants to make that decision at the end. So he doesn't go for that kind of more, more of a swing to kind of, which kind of um, betrays which way he's going to go. But the prod does mean that often the ball is like badly hit for the receiver. And these are some things that he, I think he still needs to clean out of his game. And another thing that he loves to do, and also I love in players is that He's all about orienting his body around the ball on when receiving in the pass. Or even when he's trying to actually take the ball off someone, he's not going for the ball first. He's really trying to get his body in front and then um, kind of rotates his body there to kind of almost shove his man off the ball. But one of the problems there is that he can be a little bit loose with it then because he's always trying to move with the ball before actually even taking a touch, which sees him get dispossessed a couple times or has been. So he can be a little bit sloppy in that regard, but... When it comes off, you you basically the best the best of Amir Richardson is he's kind of receiving between two guys. He uses his body really, really well with that big frame to kind of move, like spin around, let it run past him. And then he's carrying down that sort of right half space and looking for the next pass as he's attracting pressure. And he's just a beautiful player to watch in that regard. Also, I mean, he's he's got, what I think, one goal and one assist so far in about 390s this season. He's, he loves to kind of cut in and take shots too. Again, similar issue. Um, it, in terms of his ball striking, I think still needs a little bit of work. He can kind of prod it so he doesn't always get the best hits. But but yeah, th- there's just a lot to like um, about him as a player. Defensively, it's interesting. I think he's very good at recognizing where the ball's going to go, but his positioning is kind of at fault a lot of the time. So he, he can't make the most of it. And then again, I think he's not very good 1v1 when a player is attacking him but he's very good with the with again with these long legs to kind of steal the ball as his opponent kind of thinks they're past him he can kind of wrap around and and win the ball off um overall he's another player and i guess this is my fault for trying to be too cute with my picks he's another player who's been dropped since i (laughs) I made my picks for the for the part he's another player but um but I think it, uh, he also makes sense. He's, he's kind of fighting up against Teddy Tiuma because Munetsi and Matusiwa, Matusiwa are locked in and 
TM is just a, a lot more, um, yeah, obviously at what, 30 years old, a lot more polished in his play. Offers really good delivery and ball striking, which is still, I think, an area that we can see Amir Richardson improve. Um, but yeah, but he, but it's through no fault of his own. I think he's still going to get lots of playing, um, playing time this season, and and he, he suits he suits that sort of direct attack, but still controlling the ball in higher areas that I think Will still is really trying to achieve. And I think yeah, giving him the starts from the jump, being willing to sell guys like Dion Lopi, um, Kayust, and then also even loan outs, um, Kamari Dumbia. Yeah are all kind of evidence of, of, of the faith, not only in him, but also in Valentin Atangana Edoa. But but yeah, that that's basically my my maybe slightly rushed summary of of Ameritson. But he's one he's one to keep an eye out on. No, that was great. That was great. Uh, I just have one quick question on, on that, Alex. I mean you mentioned Dion Lopi and Kayus towards the end and how important they were for for Rans. Do you think he's an improvement in some respects, offensively at least, uh, uh, as to what the two of those players offered. And defensively, like you said, he still has some some room to grow, obviously. But offensively, going forward, it sounds like, I mean, he has, he offers a lot uh, when you compare him to, to K.U. Stan Loppy. Would you agree with that? I think, first of all, Loppy's a better passer, mm. particularly in transition. Loppy can pull off some crazy line-breaking passes. But I think I would say Richardson's a more controlled carrier. Loppy, if he's going to carry, it's not going to end with him kind of deciding to retain possession once he's got it high, like gaining and consolidating territory. Loppy's going to try continuing to pass it forward. I don't think I've ever seen Loppy kind of carry forward and then stop, which I think is an important thing that footballers, you know, it's an important quality that is underrated in footballers and many midfielders is knowing that you've done the carry, but now it's time to kind of consolidate what you have where I think Amir Richardson does have that and I think that suits better what Wilson is trying to achieve with with the team defensively Loppy is still a better player I would say um but I see I see a lot of quality in or potential in Amir Richardson defensively I think I think the positional stuff will come he's been sitting when he plays he often sits in a in a pivot alongside uh, Matisua double pivot and then kind of moves high you know, situationally, I think there's a lot of um, in possession knows that come with with those sort of rotations, especially for Will Still and what he's trying to do. That I think he's just come into the team and and, and come up a level. These are a lot of things all at once. So I, I'm positive. I'm optimistic about his abilities and his potential there. But yeah, I think I think Kajus is better. You know, better decision maker than he is, but maybe less dynamic a little bit. Maybe in higher areas. Whereas Loppy is more dynamic, but le- less of a decision maker. So maybe Amir Richardson is a nice marriage of the two. Um, but yeah, I-, I think a lot of it depends on him kind of cleaning up his passing. And I think I think often we kind of have these ideas of like how much technically can a player improve these certain things that they do. And I think some of the faults in terms of his passing, I mean, at the, at the same time, it- it's a payoff, right? Because he can really make that pass at the last moment with that sort of prodded effort. But I think there are ways that he can improve it. That I think once he does does that, then he becomes someone who's really clean and both kind of dangerous with his carries, but then also being able to control the game higher up. So so yeah, that's kind of my answer. I see maybe more potential for him within the system that that we're starting to see Rans take. Mm, I see what you're I see what you're saying. Yeah, Neil, anything to add there? Anything you've seen of Amir Richardson that's impressed you? No, honestly, I haven't seen much of him, but. Uh... 
Alex and I had a bit of a chat about him and uh, Teuma. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Teuma. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved him at Union Saint Gervais. And yeah, I think from Alex's description, you know, he does sound really similar to what uh, Teuma offers. So uh, obviously, some differences as as Alex said, you know, ball striking particularly, and obviously Teuma being older is naturally a more polished player. So. I think yeah, it makes sense honestly that Richardson will probably be like the fourth choice midfielder for us this season in the yeah. three. So like, you know, the first pick off the bench basically. Um, and yeah, I think that's fair enough. You know, he's what twenty-one. Uh, um, Teoma is like other side of thirty. So maybe in a couple of years, if he obviously stays there, might sort of phase out um, and sort of switch between the two. But yeah, uh, definitely a good talent by the sounds of it. Nice. I should qualify. I'm also I'm also a Teddy T fan. It's just now he's taken <laughs> he's taken my guy Amir's place in the squad. So now he's he's on fraud watch for a little bit. But <laughs> nice, nice. All right, that brings us nicely to the end of uh, the breakout players section. So two players each from each of our panelists, and yeah, I think some really really interesting picks and interesting discussion has been had. We'll mo- close off with. Honorable mentions, of course. I mentioned at the start of the pod, each of our each of our panelists will get one honorable mention. So, Neil, you're the guest. We'll come back to you on this one. Why don't you give us your honorable mention? Yep, uh, this is actually going to be my sort of one of my picks until I realized Jerry wasn't taking Warren Zeremy, so I, <laughs> I, I gladly took him, of course. Uh, but yeah, what, one of the other players that uh, really impressed me—not not necessarily so much this season, but honestly, just over the. I mean, over the last couple of years that he that he's been playing is uh, Quentin Merlon, if I'm saying that right, mm. the Nantes left back. Uh, he is still still you know I mean relatively young, uh, under 23 still. So um, he um, it's it, it's a really interesting profile. Like he's not necessarily the sort of fullback who will absolutely stand out for. A team like Nantes, who are sort of relatively mid to low table table side, is not like someone who's going to bomb forward, get lots of crosses and lots of assists and stuff. But I do think he's someone who could sort of transition to a more possession-based team uh, at a higher level and maybe even improve there because his qualities, I feel, are more in terms of like progressing the ball. He's he receives he's again technically a very sound player, so receives very well, uh, securely out wide. He's got great progressive passing in field. Uh, he, he he sees those passes and picks them out really well. And he, he does have a very good cross as well with his left, especially sort of from maybe a slightly deeper area, so like a whipped ball. Um, and, and he takes set pieces as well, which again, he, he can use that quality for. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, if, if he goes to like a more, like maybe like a niece, for example, mm. um, we might see more of his, his progression qualities shine uh, and, and therefore make him sort of stand out more. So yeah, just 21 years old, uh, and he's he's been sort of uh, a regular for Nantes uh, for, since I think 21, uh, 22 almost. Right? He, he's hmm. had about 20, 90s in the last couple of seasons, give or take. So yeah, and also fairly... an injury during that period, which I think yeah, yeah, we would sort of. I mean yeah, like in an, in an ideal world, he is a regular starter, right? Um, so yeah, he's established player basically um, at Nantes in a couple of seasons now. So I think he's he's someone worth sort of taking a look at for a club like Nice, for example, as I said. Even though he may not sort of like he may not be a standout or a breakout uh, necessarily this season, um, he's definitely someone who, who I think is ready for a step up. 
No, I think I agree. That was, um, I think from what from my brief impressions of him, I've been very impressed with how Nantes have used him as a possession outlet, often relying on him to, like you said, spray those progressive passes downfield. And, and yeah, Nice could be very well be a uh, next destination for him, at least not until Melvin Bard is still still at the club. So, so yeah, we'll move on to our next pick, uh, honorable mention, courtesy of Jerry. So Jerry, what was uh, what was your honorable mention? Uh, so for my honorable I chose Eli Kupi. Uh, I didn't know <laughs> I, I didn't know much of him before before he started playing his season with with Lorient. I think he really impressed me for when he started the first time. Oh, I can't remember the what the other series, but yeah, he's he is the kind of winger that I really like. The kind of winger that friends are really good to create, really direct, can play on the po- in the pocket. And what really struck me of all really is is his teammates, um, Timo Bakayoko, say that kind of remind big statement, kind of remind me of Mbappe, um, which is obviously not helping to grow up. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's a player that would have been worth mentioning in our breakout player section. So hopefully, um, he's gonna do great this season. Great stuff. That was that was creepy. Alex, who is your honorable mention? Yeah, just before I bring up mine, I just want to add on to creepy because I feel like. If we had made our picks maybe a bit later, he would have snuck onto the list. He's kind of not come out of nowhere, but but really made it so hard to resist picking him that it was really just that we picked beforehand that he's not on. Um, he really impressed me. My first proper watch of him, to be honest, was was now against um, Lyon. And yeah, he didn't actually get too many touches, um, but every time he was on the ball, it was like the right decision. And... and, and you know, like that understanding of whether to kind of play it directly or, or kind of, yeah, as I was speaking earlier with Amir Richardson or knowing to consolidate territory or just, you know, keep playing moving. And from a 17-year-old, you know, um, forward, I think that's even more impressive because they have this eagerness so so often to kind of try and make things happen all the time. And even then, I mean, he, he made something happen out of nowhere with that, that first goal, which is the best of the match, to be fair. Um, but then the second goal came from his off-ball movement, which I also felt was really, really intelligent throughout the game. He's always kind of timing or looking where to make the runs, trying to understand where his his teammates can can find him. But yeah, I, I'm not here to speak about Krupi. Um, my my other pick actually comes from the same club as Thiago Santos, and I I was almost very very tempted to pick him instead, but I felt maybe I wanted to be a little bit more like alternative, so that that led to <laughs> Santos and Richardson being my picks. But Lenny Yoro has to be has to be shouted out. Yeah, I think he he's despite being four years younger than Thiago Santos, honestly, he's a more polished player already. Um, yeah, there's just so much you could say about him. Incredibly good on the ball. Another player like Magasa, who's really good with those disguise passes. I think he's even better than Magasa at this. He's also really good at carrying. We were speaking a little bit about Magasa, not always knowing when to, you know, when to stop carrying or not. I think Lenny Oro has a very good understanding of how much ground he needs to take up before making passes. Um, yeah, he's just he's just very good in possession, and I, I expect in a couple of years uh, with the maturity that he plays with on the ball already lots of the top coaches are going to be looking for him because he's such an asset as, because he's such an asset in the build-up um defensively i still think he's a little bit gettable it's weird because i feel like he's better aerially in offensive situations than defensive well, i guess it's not that weird but that that's sort of the distinction there um 
but yeah, he's a little bit he's a little bit gettable at times, but still he's 17 and he still has a frame to kind of build out. I think a lot of those issues go away once he fills out a little bit more. So yeah, huge talents. Um we'll definitely be speaking more about him in future pods. I do I know I know you said we could only shout out one, but Ishmael Dakura is another top You're center back. There's Alex, just so many in the league. <laughs> There's just so many in the league at the moment, so I'll shout him out as well. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll let you go with that one. Um, but yeah, to close off, I think I should rightly so give my own pick as well. And it's a player that, I mean, this has been in the spotlight a bit, is uh, Lawrence's Andy Duf. Um, interestingly enough, and a bit embarrassing to be honest on my own um, research, is I've just recently found out that he has had a fairly lustrous youth academy career. So he started out... Yeah, PSG. Uh-huh. Yeah, PSG, Ren. Not just at those two as well. He was also at Clairefontaine. So, oh. yeah. So, three very, very illustrious academies. Um, but, yeah. Andy Duf, um, exceptionally talented player. And I think what you are seeing in him is uh, qualities in terms of the ball carrying and shades of Sekofofana. And you can see why he's been brought into the team by Franck Hayes in, in, in what he brings. Um, similar qualities to, to Sekofofana. Um, in 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 his presence in midfield, being a perfect complement to someone like Salis Abdul Samet, who is you know as we know the reliable recycler of the ball, he is always ready to receive. Perfect pivot alongside um, alongside Andy Diouf. It's been interesting to see Hayes drop him more recently for for players like Stein Spearings. I think he's also tried Adrian Thompson in midfield. Uh, in Champions League games, especially, he's he's gone for a more conservative approach, which. I think is less a comment on Duf, but more a comment on what Hayes is trying to do in being more conservative in those Champions League games, which isn't necessarily um, the kind of games that will suit Andy Duf's strengths, which is to bomb forward with his carries and and yeah, try to link up with teammates um, with his with his final delivery, which I think can be a bit lacking at times. I think the the end product is is still. Is still building in him. I think obviously Seko Fofana's shoes are so massive to fill, especially in terms of his importance to to Lance's system. But but yeah, I see I see I see what Hayes is cooking with with Diouf in that team, and um, and yeah, I think by the end of the season, hopefully you'll see more of uh, Diouf's physical attributes coming in and uh, him fully growing into his body. And I think some sometimes he's he's shown some weaknesses of being like shrugged off the ball a bit easily. So I think he needs to be a bit more secure on the ball. Um, but yeah, that will come with time. He's still very young, and uh, and yeah, I think there's a lot a lot of uh, promise to take for for the future. Yeah. Great shout out, Nad. Very yeah. shout out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I think it was an obvious one, but it had to be done. Had to be done. So yeah, that was. Uh, the less obvious, uh, oh, sorry, more obvious, and yet an honourable mention. Also. To be fair, maybe more obvious is what we should have been doing for breakouts. Yeah. Since I've picked two players who are now sitting on the bench. But it is what it is. But yes, we've <laughs> indulged ourselves long enough. Uh, this is the end of this episode. Neil, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your expertise on not only Negon, but also the leagues beyond. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Lovely stuff. Alex, as always, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> and Jerry, thank you for yours as well. Um, okay, so next episode is going to be our very first deep dive of this season. And we're very excited uh, to bring you a nice deep dive with a very special guest who will be revealed in due course of time. 
So, so yeah, Francesco Farioli's side will get the Everybody's Eats treatment for our next episode. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening to this one. Take care and enjoy the international break. Enjoy the break from League on Football. See you next time.